everybody, and welcome back to Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth, and I am me. And me is Liam Sturgis. I'm coming at you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I am a musician, singer-songwriter, and person who likes to ask questions and think deeply about topics very relevant to me and the people I care about. And that's what we're going to do once again today. Our topic is the... My, one of my new favorite phrases, confession through projection. And we've got a number of stories that have a bit of a through line, a um, bit of hypocrisy. Uh, just generally, though, this has been a crazy couple of weeks. In fact, I was watching the Corbett Report. Uh, it was, um, what do they call it? Uh, New World Next Week. Him and James Evans Pilato of Media Monarchy, they do a show kind of like this one. Uh, I sort of modeled this show after uh, New World Next Week. Anyway, their episode they did yesterday, James pointed out, you know, it used to be that each year would have something crazy that happened. You know, the 1918 Spanish flu or the 1963 assassination of President Kennedy or 1969, you know, going to the moon. Uh, 2001, you had 9-11, 2008, the financial crisis. But now it's like almost every month or every week there's something. Like you remember the, uh, the UFO space weather balloon China issue of early February 2023. And it's like, oh, kind of, I guess. Um, and I, I basically stole everything I just said from New World Next Week. But it's a very, very valid point. We have a lot to cover, so let's get right into it. Just going to make sure it looks like we are good to go on Locals. We're going to make sure we're streaming on Rumble as well. And that is a reminder, of course, you can watch us on any of those platforms as well as directly on Locals at roundingtheearth.locals.com. Um, the other difference today is I'm going slightly off script. I am not going to have the same um, pre-written uh, script that I usually do until we get to our last story. But if you are watching on Rumble, Rockfin, or Odyssey, you can give us a tip. We have Rumble Rants, and then of course you can join us at roundingtheearth.locals.com where we have a fantastic community of people that come together, uh, frankly, for every show, but especially for our Wednesday night exclusives, which we'll talk about in a sec. And to get those uh, behind-the-scenes accesses, uh, you can become a paid supporter. Um, you can even get, for the final day, a free month of premium support by using promo code RTE March 2023. Okay, and this past week, this past Wednesday, we had a really fun uh, locals supporters only live stream uh, where we went back and listened to an album that I and my classmates at the time put together in March of 2020 as the COVID 19 pandemic was officially launched as the trauma of the world going to going to heck uh, really hit us in the musical creative spot. Anyway, we had a lovely listening session and wound up swapping music uh, um, among us. So I highly recommend becoming a member. Go back. The recording is available for you there. So let's jump into our show for today. To those watching on Locals, just give me a thumbs up. Make sure you can hear me over there. Same thing on Rumble if you guys don't mind. And I'm just going to take a look at Rockfin. We are good there as well. Okay, so let's do this. Uh, we got a thumbs up from Trevor Ovington. Perfect. Loud and clear from Tonica. So here we go. First of all, um, 
those of you who have been around for a while may remember my friend Matthew Evans Cockle. He came on uh, with Tessa Lina, another frequent guest of Rounding the Earth, to talk about the red herring of communism. Um, basically, the idea of blaming all of our problems on any of these buzzword ideologies is, you know, there may be elements of truth, but you're going to always miss the point if you pin it on just a singular one. Anyway, he's a good friend of mine, and Matthew and I have been working on the conflicts of interest work with the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, along with Deanna McLeod for a while, and uh, some other wonderful team members, Claudia Chauvin. Uh, anyway, Matthew has now come out and started his own Rumble channel called Curmudgeon's Corner. And he's released three videos so far where he uh, delivers mini lectures. The first one being the University of British Columbia and his open letter to them to restore ethical integrity at the University of British Columbia. This right here was published in the Caribou Sentinel and the links to both Matthew's channel and this Caribou Sentinel article will be in the show notes, which will be coming out shortly after the show on roundingtheearth.local.com. Anyway, so I recommend going there. Now, uh, very interesting week. Oh, you conspiracy theorists always spreading misinformation about elections. There's been a lot said about the integrity of U.S. and, frankly, Canadian, wow, and worldwide election systems over the last couple of years. And you know what? A lot of it was not based in much. Uh, however, there have been some very interesting situations unfolding with a lot more factual basis to ask some questions. And one of those was what happened in the 2022 midterm elections, specifically in the state of Arizona. And uh, for those who have not been following, Carrie Lake was a candidate for governor, and uh, there were some questions about how signature verification or signature match ver verification processes uh, went down in that state. And uh, there were, without myself making any allegations, there were questions that needed answering. And a couple of different courts told her, nope, you're wrong. We're not even going to answer this. Uh, we're not even going to seek to try to answer this. Well, Carrie Lake has now uh, been given a bit of a uh, reprieve from the Arizona Supreme Court, who said, no, hold on a second, the signature ver match verification issue does need to be looked at closer. So no matter what your perspective is, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, we should all want to make sure that our election systems, again, across the world, are working as they're supposed to. And if they're not, it does not matter who gets put into office. Uh, it's problematic. So I consider this to be good news, and no, I, I have no stake in this political game. I just think we should ask questions if there are questions to be asked. Uh, speaking of questions to be asked and lawsuits moving forward, all of this talk of the banks going through these financial issues and this global transformation, that's all fine and good. But meanwhile, we've got another thing going on, which is the late Jeffrey Epstein and his connections to various major banks around the world, and further questions that have not yet been answered. Well, J.P. Morgan and Deutsche Bank to face lawsuits over Jeffrey Epstein ties. Manhattan judge allows central accusations that banks benefited from ties to sex trafficker to proceed. That may be a generous understatement. And again, they're not going to face lawsuits. They're already in the middle of them, and this is a step where they will now have to go to discovery and 
disclose a number of files that may suggest they knew more than they initially let on. <sighs> so that's interesting. We'll see where that goes. Moving ahead, talk about another whirlwind of a story. Uh, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, has been indicted. There was a, a week, a week and a half of what's going on and, uh, you know, kicked off with President Trump on Truth Social saying that uh, he had been informed he was going to be arrested uh, as part of this indictment, this long case that's uh, been litigated over hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. It's a complicated story, but it, it really looked as though uh, somebody was making something up and it wasn't clear who it was. Uh, at, at a certain point, Trump was even being accused of himself uh, misinterpreting or, or jumping the gun on something. Well, long story short, he has been indicted. Excuse me. He has been indicted. He will have to do whatever happens when you get arrested. But the version that happens when you're rich, presumably. Um, now, I thought at first the New York Times did a pretty good job of tempering expectations, at least this guy. So this is Charlie Savage, if I'm reading that right. And yesterday, uh, when this news broke, he said, A caveat, as a flood of commentary assessing the weight and merits of the indictment fills cable television news and social media, it is important to stress that we have not seen the charges. Nobody talking in public right now knows... Uh, oh, sorry, actually knows what Bragg's, uh, Bragg being the district attorney who uh, is pursuing the indictment, nobody actually knows what Bragg's theory of the case is. Assuming it's correct that this is primarily a bookkeeping fraud case, the crucial question is what other intended crime does Bragg contend the falsification of Trump Organization records was meant to conceal? All the commentary about it being a campaign finance crime relies on guesswork. That could prove correct, but may also turn out to be entirely wrong or subject to some important twist that we do not yet understand. It would be wise to take all the legal analysis for now with a big grain of salt. I agree. Look, he's biased. I'm biased. We're all biased in various ways, but I think this is good advice. Now, of course, <laughs> uh... Conspiracy theorists online grasp for explanation behind indictment is what came out today from that same New York Times live updates stream. Uh, and I'd just like to go ahead and read a quick uh, excerpt from that. We have, on social media channels associated with extremists and conspiracy theorists, people searched for an explanation behind former President Donald J. Trump's indictment on Thursday with some calling him a victim of a democratic witch hunt to suppress his influence and others describing him as a grand master playing political chess to reclaim the presidency. The scattered response reflects the shift in Mr. Trump's power since a large group of his supporters stormed the Capitol after he lost the 2020 election. In the years since, Mr. Trump's political movement experienced multiple electoral defeats. Some supporters were jailed after the attack on the Capitol. The social media landscape shifted, and Mr. Trump's digital reach remains limited by an obligation that he first post on Truth Social, the social network he started last year. I don't think that's true. I don't 
don't think he started it, but that's fine. That has far fewer users than Twitter and Facebook. I do think that is true. Mr. Trump tried rallying his base as the expected indictment drew near, and he earned widespread support from Republicans. Mr. Trump's recent calls for supporters to protest his potential arrest received a muted response. Now, that's also not true. It received an overwhelmingly panicked response from people saying he called for violence, which... Okay, so that's happening. I don't think it means what people think it means. I think it's a huge deal because it is the first time in history that a U.S. president has been indicted and the first time in history that a major uh, contender for the presidency was indicted. This will not stop him from running for president, even if he were to be physically jailed. But it is notable nonetheless. It's just unclear to what extent this matters. All right, moving forward. We've got this uh, TikTok situation, you see, this bill, S-686, the Restrict Act, which has come in, as we discussed on Tuesday in our roundtable with Gabe of Libre Network Solutions, no, Libre, Libre Solutions Network, um, we talked about how TikTok is being used as cover for this, this bill, which is quite clearly not what it seems. Um, and you know it's crazy when you've got vice of all of all outlets saying the insanely broad restrict act could ban much more than just TikTok. And I've got the article pulled up because I want to read this to you. Um, but first, before we do, just to point out, vice is a is is a is a partner organization of the World Economic Forum, which. You would assume they might be kind of happy about this bill, given their bias, their desire to keep information flow well-managed and in the control of those who are the experts or whatever. That said, Vice, so I, I, I read now, the Restrict Act, a proposed piece of legislation which provides one way the government, that's the U.S. government, might ban TikTok, contains insanely broad language and could lead to other apps or communication services with connections to foreign countries, which is all of them, being banned in the U.S., multiple digital rights experts told Motherboard. Uh, the bill could have implications not just for social networks, but potentially security tools such as virtual private networks, VPNs, that consumers use to encrypt and route their traffic, one said. Although the intention of the bill is to target apps uh, or services that pose a threat to national security, these critics worry it may have reached... Uh, sorry, it may have much wider implications for the First Amendment. You don't say. The Restrict Act is a concerning distraction with insanely broad language that raises serious human and civil rights concerns, Will Murray Escoto, U.S. Policy Analyst for Digital Rights Organization, Access Now, told Motherboard in an emailed statement. When we talk about Access Now, uh, go to the Campfire Wiki, that is campfire.wiki, and look up Access Now. We've got some uh, some info on them. But it's it's true. Uh, you know, you can even feel a little bit of spin here. Uh, but let's look at another take. This is a, a video Gabriel suggested. So let's just listen to the first minute. Criminal penalties. In general, a person who willfully commits, willfully attempts to commit, or willfully conspires to commit, or aids and abets in the commission of an unlawful act described in subsection A, shall upon conviction be fined not more than $1 million, or if a natural person may be in prison for not more than 20 years, or both. You know what that means. Not more than $1 million means up to $1 million, right? You realize that 
not in prison for more than 20 years means in prison for up to 20 years, right? Inapplicability of FOIA. Any information submitted to the federal government by a party to a covered transaction in accordance with this act, as well as any information the federal government may create relating to review of the covered transaction is exempt from disclosure under Section 552 of Title V United States Code, commonly referred to as the Freedom of Information Act. To advise the Secretary in carrying out the responsibilities, Chapter 10 of Part 1 of Title V of United States Code shall not apply to any meeting of such advisory committee. The entire purpose of that is to reduce the undue influence of special interests and lobbyists. That's not going to get abused at all. Any restricted data is defined in Section 11 of the Atomic Energy Act of 1954. We're citing the Atomic Energy Act of 1954 and a banned TikTok bill. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States cleared the transaction and notified the parties to the transaction or a broader transaction that included the transaction that the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States completed all action with respect to the transaction or a broader transaction that included the transaction. Who is this, Dr. Seuss? Hey, everybody, how's it going? I hope we're having a lovely day. I want to start at the- The transaction will transact with the transactor, transactionally speaking. It says transact. Okay, so um, that's crazy. Yeah, it's a lot- um, I wonder if anyone's going to read the bill in full. I hear it's over a thousand pages. I'm not sure if that's true. But again, the links to all these resources and videos will be in the show notes, which will be on roundingtheearth.locals.com in a couple of hours. Okay, so that's that. Um, it has bipartisan support in Congress. And if I were an American right now, I would be trying to gather bipartisan support against this because this has nothing to do with keeping kids safe online. This has nothing to do with China. It has nothing to do with TikTok. It has to do with uh, a lot of the same stuff that we're dealing with in other contexts, like, look, transaction. Uh, transaction of information, transaction of currency. I believe this is all included in there. Speaking of transactions of currency, uh, we talked about James O'Keefe and Project Veritas before. It's what got us kicked off YouTube, it would seem. Sorry. Well, we're back, and so is James O'Keefe. He left Project Veritas and has started O. OMG, O'Keefe Media Group. <laughs> and he's come out with a story. This is a uh, headline from Timcast. Uh, James O'Keefe exposes potential money laundering scheme by Democrat fundraising group Act Blue. Thousands of donations are being made in the names of people who say they didn't send them. Uh, there's a good video uh, that I watched just a couple of clips of, and uh, it's very interesting. And uh, it looks as though, indeed, uh, people's names, and you can search this on the uh, election, oh, federal, FEC, Federal Elections Commission. There's a, data, a database where you can search individual donors, and if you do that, you find, well, hold on, this person in the middle of nowhere, sort of suburban neighborhood with no employment listed, is donating $200,000 to this candidate who is in the Democratic Party. Anyway, it all centers around Act Blue. Um, and so I realized I'd heard that name before, so I did two things. The first thing I did was I looked up Act Blue on Influence Watch, which is a right-leaning, to be clear, uh, wiki-type page that, uh, again, right-leaning. So, uh, and I found... ActBlue Tec Technical Services, ActBlue LLC, ActBlue PAC, ActBlue Civics, ActBlue Charities. And this is starting to feel like yet another FTX situation where you have a bunch of companies, each set up to do slightly different things, uh, that are, are hard to keep track of. If you look on Wikipedia, ActBlue is listed as a not-for-profit charitable organization 
Um, but if you look here, you see this this group has wings that are um, so nonprofit political organization, the for-profit arm of the left of center political organization, the uh, a 527 political action committee, a 501c4 arm, and uh, something there at the bottom, a pass-through organization. So this is just nuts. Um, so I, I didn't have time to go and do the dive I wanted to because this is clearly um, not intended to be easy to track. But I also went into our Campfire Wiki and did a backlink search for uh, Act Blue. And these are the pages that list Act Blue in there, uh, meaning I've previously or someone else has previously included them in research on these pages. The Analyst Institute, the CDC Foundation, Community Change, Guarding Against Pandemics, and Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap is Barbara Freed's political action committee. Barbara being the mother of Sam Bankman Freed. Uh, and the Analyst Institute is one of the companies that had been hired by Mind the Gap to work on this and work on the uh, political activities over the last couple of years. The CDC Foundation, that's the Center for Disease Control uh, Foundation. Community change is, and it's also associated with Mind the Gap. And finally, Guarding Against Pandemics, apart from the obvious within its name, it's also uh, notable as being run by Gabe Bankman-Fried, the brother of Sam. So um, that's notable. Okay, moving swiftly along, you may recall that uh, a couple of my goodness, a month, maybe two, it's been two months, I think, since East Palestine, Ohio, suffered a uh, catastrophic environmental and public health emergency in the derailing of a Norfolk Southern train that carried a whole bunch of uh, poorly documented toxic chemicals that they then, after like a week, maybe I think 10 days, decided to uncontrollably burn. Okay, fast forward. Um, that's still going on. That is a story that has not gone away. Um, there's some weird narrative control feel to this where uh, there's just a lot of things that don't make sense. So once again, continuing to ask questions. What is going on here? Well, what's going on, as very well documented by Ryan Christian of The Last American Vagabond, is the toxic waste that continues to be in the soil, in the water, in the air, is being picked up and shipped across the United States to different states uh, where Oklahoma, for example, is saying, you stay away. <laughs> we, under no circumstances, want your toxic waste because very little is known about the full extent of the damage caused by not just the dioxin, which has now been confirmed in uh, independent testing, um, but all the other chemicals, which are surely still there, that ongoing testing is showing need further testing. And the facilities, even the states that are accepting them, are not set up to receive or to process this material. There's specific uh, procedures and techniques and equipment required uh, to destroy or to get rid of or otherwise successfully process dioxin and a number of other chemicals and the facilities that this toxic waste is going to cannot do that, and they know that. So I highly recommend The Last American Vagabond, uh, who, as always, is doing a tremendous job of articulating in concise multi-hour shows the details of the situation. Okay, on the culture side, look, 
This is getting a little out of hand. Maybe it's always been out of hand. Here's a Reuters story. Uganda passes a law making it a crime to identify as LGBTQ. Now this, I, I, I will admit, um, I, I'm starting to be suspicious of how much attention is being paid to certain aspects of the, the you could call it the culture war related to sexuality, related to non-heterosexuality. Um, there are genuine concerns in how children are being exposed to sexualized material in some cases, maybe in a lot of cases. Um, and we could talk later about the conflation of non-heterosexuality and sexualization of children. We, that's, a, that's a nuanced discussion that we can have another day. What is clear is this is a very hot area for societal uh, debate and action, and that includes from very powerful um, uh, powerful lobbying interests, people who for, for one reason or another would like to see society move in one direction or another. And especially when something is contentious like this, you get a back and, a, and forth and you get people tired and perhaps you get entire nations deciding they're just done. And I think that's what's happened here. Um, the details of the law are, are not, I'm not entirely familiar with, but it is my understanding indeed that Uganda has made it illegal to be non-heterosexual, which in my opinion makes no sense and is a probably, probably an international human rights issue. Um, and further, there are nuanced conversations to be had about to what extent that matters if you're talking about a sovereign nation making laws uh, for its own citizens. That aside, let's, let's, let's just focus on the aspect of this didn't just happen. Uh, and I, I, I found this video by the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. Uh, very, very well thought out and very well articulated. Um, this is another conservative, uh, you know, self-described conservative platform. Um, but they said, in their words, look, to clarify, it's not being gay. That is what, that that people are being up, you know, people are getting up in arms about. Um, it's the activism. It is this sort of plus one ideology of you know you take someone, but then you add an entire world of politics and and sort of forced culture onto it, and then take that and force it on other countries. And their thesis in this episode of their podcast is that well, Western interference has consequences. So it poses a good question. Is the intended result of all of this activism one way or the other for governments to start cracking down on what individuals can, can, can do as far as their own lives go? Um, you know, I'll leave that one for there, you know, there for now. It's, it's a tremendously interesting topic. Um, one last thing before we get into our main story, which is this. Uh, the Epoch Times reported the federal government of Canada, requested removal of online content document shows. Twitter files, Canada version. I'm going to read a little bit from this article here. Multiple federal departments and agencies have interacted with social media companies to request online content be taken down, 
oftentimes to have impersonating accounts removed, but also to purge posts they deemed offensive. The Canadian government provided the information on March 27th in an inquiry of ministry following an order paper submitted by Conservative MP Dean Allison. Allison asked for an account from each governmental organization on efforts to take down, edit, ban, or change in any other way social media content, posts, or accounts since January 1, 2020. The most serious case involves uh, employees of the Canada Revenue Agency, CRA, sharing private taxpayer information in a Facebook Messenger chat group. CRA requested the information be taken down, but says it didn't receive confirmation it had been. Very interesting stuff. Um, no one's surprised. Okay, our main story for the day. Speaking of controversial, uh, contradictory, hypocritical government actions, confession through projection. So keep in mind some of the issues we've touched on. Uh, you know, election stuff. Uh, Cybersecurity, um, foreign influence, using technology, misinformation, this or that. Well, here's what happened, and here's where I turned to my script. All right. It appears we have yet another addition to our growing insert noun here files collection. Yesterday, The Guardian, British newspaper The Guardian, published an article detailing what they called the Vulcan Files describing the cyber warfare and disinformation tools and techniques developed by a Russian company called NTC Vulcan. The story is allegedly based on a leak of thousands of internal documents provided by an anonymous whistleblower about whom no information is provided. Despite the implication written into the headline, Vulcan Files Leak Reveals Putin's Global and Domestic Cyber Warfare Tactics, the article does not actually assert that these tools are being used by the Russian government, uh, either in the context of the current Ukraine crisis or otherwise, or that there's any reason in particular to believe that they were even developed with guidance from President Putin or his government. In short, while the article seems to contain a compelling story, there's not a lot of true value provided, such as, you know, the documents themselves, for, for, for example. To be clear, I have no reason to doubt that Russia has secret, undisclosed cyber warfare and information management programs. I imagine these would be happily deployed on Canadians and Americans at the drop of a hat, and likely are currently underway, to be clear. Don't take this, this, this story, as me dismissing that premise. Still, I'd like to learn a bit more about the people and the organizations behind this story, because, I don't know, it seems odd. The timing of the story, the lack of real, actual controversy in the story, and of course, uh, I, 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 especially given the fact that the, uh, the, the Vulcan files already have a Wikipedia page which, if you recall, was one of the things that made me immediately suspicious of the lockdown files. Now, first, let's look at this company. So let's look at this promo video, which was included in the Guardian article. This is uh, NTC Vulcan's promotional video. Чем занимается наша IT-компания ежедневно? 
разрабатывает программное обеспечение, делится важными знаниями и опытом, обеспечивает информационную безопасность клиентов, разрабатывает VR-решения. Проводит анализ безопасности устройств и занимается реверс-инжинирингом. Решает корпоративные задачи. Отлично отдыхает. Стоп. Почему именно вулкан? Команда. Да-да, именно ты. Каждый. Комфортная рабочая среда. И самое главное, желание менять этот мир к лучшему. At this point, by looking into the organizations responsible for the story itself. Who's the source here, beyond this anonymous whistleblower? So, according to the article, the anonymous source approached the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung. I pronounced that very wrong. Uh, they approached them with the leak days after Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. After a weird delay, the whistleblower subsequently went to a company called Paper Trail Media, kickstarting a collaborative investigation that roped in 11 media outlets total, including The Guardian, The Washington Post, and Le Monde from France. Um, so, Paper Trail Media, that's interesting. So, who's Paper Trail Media? They are described as a Munich-based investigative startup. The company's website boasts its prior work as the journalists behind the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers, Swiss Secrets, Xinjiang Police Files, and now the Vulcan Files. Alongside its partners, the company also claims credit for the Pegasus Project, the China Cables, the Russian Asset Tracker, and more. Uh, if you're like me, some of those were familiar, even if I wasn't initially quite sure what they were. I had at least heard the names of some of these stories before. So I went in and I identified each one to make sure I knew what I was talking about. Here they all are. So I'm going to go through and just list what each one is. Panama Papers refer to the 11.5 million leaked encrypted confidential documents that were the property of Panama-based law firm Mossack Fonseca. The documents were released on April 3rd, 2016 by the German newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung, dubbing them the Panama Papers. The document exposed the network of more than 214,000 tax havens involving people and entities from 200 different nations. 
The Paradise Papers refers to a leak of 13.4 million files. Most of the documents relate to a law firm and corporate services provider that operated together in 10 jurisdictions under the name Appleby. Okay. Swiss Secrets was a cache of leaked data from a cornerstone of the global banking industry, which, by the way, has just been bought out by UBS. Anyway which reveals how the rich, the powerful, and the corrupt use secret Swiss accounts to move millions and funnel some of it into Florida real estate. Hmm, who was a rich guy who lived in Florida? Hmm, okay. Now, Xinjiang police files uh, are a major cache of speeches, images, documents, and spreadsheets obtained by a third party from confidential internal police networks. They provide a groundbreaking inside view of the nature and scale of Beijing's secretive campaign of interning between 1 to 2 million Uyghurs and other ethnic citizens in China's northwest Xinjiang region. The Pegasus Project was an unprecedented leak of more than 50,000 phone numbers selected for surveillance by the customers of the Israeli company NSO Group, which shows how this technology has been systematically abused for years. The China Cables is an investigation into the surveillance and mass internment without charge or trial of Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities in Xinjiang, similar to the other one. And finally, Russian Asset Tracker is a project to track down and catalog the vast wealth held outside Russia by oligarchs and key figures close to Russian President Vladimir Putin. As you can see. This is a wide variety of investigative subjects that revolve, though, around organized corruption among these super wealthy corporations, hostile nations, you know, Russia and China, banks and law firms. The Vulcan Files is the next in this multi-year series of investigations, it would seem. So, who were their partners? Paper Trail Media worked on some of these projects, as they mentioned, with partner organizations with four of them prominently identified. You have the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, Forbidden Stories, and further down the page, you have the Anti-Data Corruption, or Anti-Corruption Data Collective, not Anti-Data Corruption Collective, though that could be accurate. So who is behind those groups? Because the funding for Paper Trail Media is, is not listed. It's just not there. And they say, if you'd like to fund them, they direct you towards these partners and some of the other media outlets they work with. So this is the, the most obvious way we can start to identify this network around them. So let's conduct our own investigation. The OCCRP is a project of the U.S.-based Journalism Development Network. And its primary funding sources are, get ready, the United States government. Through the National Endowment for Democracy, the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, and the United States Department of State. Well, other donors from 2012 all the way to today include George Soros's Open Societies Foundations, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Ford Foundation, Skoll Foundation, Pierre Omidyar, founder of eBay, Luminate, and Google through the Google News Initiative and their think tank, Jigsaw. Not creepy at all. What a nice collection of logos we see on screen there. All right. 
Now, okay, so that's the first one. What about the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists? Why look at that? The ICIJ is also funded by the National Endowment for Democracy and the Open Society Foundation and the Ford Foundation. And you've also got the Hollywood Foreign Press Association footing the bill. Very interesting. Okay, Forbidden Stories shares many of these same funding sources, including the National Endowment for Democracy, Open Society Foundations. That's three for three so far on those two. And the Skull Foundation. You've also here got the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO, as well as on the right on the screen, you see the Pulitzer Center, which, just so you know, is itself funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Carnegie Corporation of New York, Conrad N. Hilton Foundation, Planned Parenthood International, the Nuclear Threat Initiative, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the United Nations Foundation. And you're telling me these groups are speaking truth to power, huh? And finally, there was a fourth one called the Anti-Corruption Data Collective, which is funded by Luminate by Piero Midyar and George Soros' Open Society Foundation. So all of them are funded by George Soros. So this, this is the crowd that Paper Trail Media runs with. While some of those investigations, okay, are surely done in earnest, and the resulting revelations have brought International, uh, international attention to serious and real human rights crises, such as the case with the oppression of the Uyghur Muslims in China. It's still vital to not lose sight of who benefits from the selective publication of these exposés. Now, for example, just because he's the one common thread between all of them, George Soros is a major player on the international geopolitical stage. And his funding of all four of Paper Trail Media's closest collaborators suggests his own geopolitical goals are advanced by this investment. Let's just watch a video to remind us of his position. For example, given that this is a story about Russia in the context of its invasion of Ukraine, let's hear what Mr. Soros has to say about it. The invasion of Ukraine didn't come out of blue. The world has been increasingly engaged in a struggle between two systems of governance that are diametrically opposed to each other, open society and closed society. Let me define the difference as simply as I can. In an open society, the rule of the, of, of the state is to protect the freedom of the individual. In a closed society, the role of the individual is to serve the rulers of the state. Other issues concerning all of humanity, fighting pandemics and climate change, avoiding nuclear war, maintaining global institutions, have had to take a backseat to that struggle. That's why I say our civilization may not survive. That uh, sounds like a threat, Mr. Soros. Uh, but look, it's not just Mr. Soros, of course. 
by now the foundations bearing the names Rockefeller, Ford, and Skull should all be immediately recognizable as powerful influences on whichever story is being sold, even if you agree with the story, by the way. But let's give those guys, these technically private citizens and their private foundations, let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a second and face the biggest elephant in the room. The fact that the United States government itself is engaged with these groups, in large part through these super spooky organizations that were set up to do just this kind of propagandistic work. USAID and the National Endowment for Democracy. This is also, if you look back, these, these funding arrangements did not start this year. They go back to the beginning of most of these organizations. These are significant and long-term relationships, it would seem. Okay, look, in good scientific spirit, though, the article doesn't simply say, oh, trust us, we wouldn't lie to you. No, instead, the authors tapped a cybersecurity firm to review the so-called leak and provide their input. The article cites the comments of John Holtquist and Gabby Roncone, both employees of Mandiant. Mandiant is a subsidiary of Google. Having been acquired by the internet giant and fully integrated into Google Cloud in March 2022. Funny, the year after the invasion, or sorry, the month after the invasion. Its long list of partners that I skimmed through include Alliance, Amazon Web Services, AT&T, Bell, Cloudflare, CrowdStrike. Hmm, we're going to have to look into that one later. IBM, Microsoft, and TELUS. Canadians and Americans alike will know all of these. This is the entirety of our internet and phone and television infrastructure. And many, many others. A lot of law firms in there, a lot of insurance companies. So with that in mind, this Google company, are we really supposed to find this company credible on the topic of protecting the civil rights and the internet security of the citizens of each sovereign nation and their global counterparts? Google, keep in mind, is perfectly happy in their position as the world's gatekeeper on cyber infrastructure. And the idea that Google is spying on us is ubiquitous. And we treat it as a fact of life, especially people my generation and under. We've grown up with that as the fact. We grew up under the Patriot Act, which, yes, involves not just the states. It involves the Five Eyes countries. Furthermore, uh, the, uh, the company has been all too happy working with government, with military and intelligence agencies to control the flow of information and target civilians when so desired. For example, removal from YouTube for coming down the wrong path with this Project Veritas story. Okay. Just for those listening, on screen we have a Guardian article, Google's Earth how the tech giant is helping the state spy on us. We knew that being connected had a price, our data, but we didn't care. Did we not? Then it turned out that Google's main clients included the military and intelligence agencies. So rounding the earth, speaking of Google's earth, rounding the earth is an educational platform. And Matthew Crawford, founder of Rounding the Earth, told me when I started this weekly news roundup that each show should teach one key educational tool. 
With this brief overview, we attempted to evaluate the credibility of the source of this story, in particular as it relates excuse me, as it relates to the topic at hand. Given that, in true insert noun here files fashion, the underlying leaked documents were not provided in any meaningful form at all, so we're, re we're, we're required to decide whether or not to rely on the source itself as the exclusive method of deciding if this is a credible story. For me, I can't help but see the activities and the tools that are briefly described in scary fashion in this Guardian article as being much more than a mirror image of exactly the same tools and activities used by our own governments and domestic corporations used on us. This, my friends, is confession through projection. Accuse the enemy of doing that which you are doing. It's pretty genius. Now, this is not a paid sponsorship, but it is a good picture of a t-shirt. Confession through projection, Viva Barnes Law. And sure, vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Go check them out. Vivafry.com, I think, is where you can buy the shirt. Anyway, confession through projection. Whether it is Russia, or the United States, or China, or Israel, Uganda, or Myanmar, uh, well, intrusion into privacy and the mass manipulation of public flows of information is always problematic. It's never not problematic. So I ask you, the listener, are you happy with this as the status quo? Well, this has been fun, and this has been Rounding the Earth. Go to www.randingtheearth.locals.com where we have a wonderful discussion going on in the chat. Shout out to Rebecca and to Mr. Joshua, to Control Group, and uh, Trevor and Tonica and everybody else who has been hanging out over there. You guys are fantastic. So if you want to join them, um, then you can do that randingtheearth.locals.com. Use promo code RTE March 2023. This is the last day where you can get a free month of premium support. Access our uh, supporters only weekly locals exclusive live streams or sign up for free and just hang out and keep up to date with what we're doing you can also as always go to roundingtheearth.substack.com which is the flagship publication that started this whole rounding the earth globe spinning uh, where matthew continues to write fantastic work my name is liam sturgis i'm a musician and i'm going to start talking about that more we're going to have some fun cultural development hanging out community growth type stuff using music sitting around the campfire, making uh, the world just a little bit brighter. Uh, and in the meantime, you can find me at liamsturgis.com. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching, and we will see you on Monday, where we will be talking to none other than journalist George Webb. This will be fun. See you guys later. Mm -hmm.